Welcome back to Reply Guys, the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I am Kate Willett. And I'm Julia Clare. So I want to start this episode by saying thank you so much to all of our Patreon subscribers. We have 107 of you at this point, um, which I think is, you know, pretty close to the number that like, uh, you know, Chapo Trap House Mm -hmm. has or something like that. Um, it's, so it's the two of us. We're <laughs> on Spotify's top three. It's us yes. and Chapo Trap House and uh, Joe Rogan the Experience. Joe Rogan Experience. Yes. So I did want to say thank you so much uh, to folks, and uh, we are actually approaching our two-year anniversary here pretty soon, and just you know about a month and a half. So we've been going for a while. We would love to be able to start paying our uh, producer a little bit more and also ourselves. You know, ourselves. <laughs> We've been, we didn't even do a Patreon for the first year because no is content that we thought was like, we just really wanted everyone to have it. But now we are really putting a lot of good stuff on the Patreon. Um, a couple episodes that I really enjoyed recently, uh, I interviewed a Palestinian American comedian, Sammy Obeyed. Um, about performing comedy where he's talking about uh, Palestinian rights and getting banned from TikTok and um, pissing people off. But he's so great and he's so funny. We had such a good discussion. Um, I also talked recently to um, Albert Fox Khan about surveillance and he runs a uh, anti-surveillance nonprofit um, in New York City. Um, and, you know, is just a really cool guy who has a lot to say about the scary, scary attempts at surveillance. So like, we have a whole bonus catalog, including some really good stuff on QAnon, um, some stuff of us admitting things that we will not admit on the main feed, you know, just for our nearest and dearest. If there's any way that you could afford $5 a month, you would really help us keep the show going. And that's my um, NPR week plug for our Patreon. Okay. You know, um, I think we're one of the main podcasts that's giving the deserved attention to uh, local and state socialist candidates. That's always yeah. what I really want it to be. So, you know, we're hoping that you find this to be a good resource. <laughs> and I'm about to get unemployed because I quit my job in the mm-hmm. tech industry <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to be, um, you know, a... a doing work for comedy and for the community full-time so we would deeply appreciate if you feel so compelled to subscribe and you are able to support us and our producer who does so much work we love genevieve so much genevieve our uh incredible producer and you know help us we're like we're like uh i shouldn't have talked about that guy's dick on the podcast (laughs) cut that cut that double check genevieve i should not have named those names yeah i should not have said which comedians i don't like um yeah uh yeah so we we so appreciate all of our our current patrons and everyone who who listens to the podcast generally 
and uh, we love reading your reviews, even the ones that are mean. And without further ado, we've been ado, getting some good reviews lately. That's yeah, true. Too. That's true. Actually, the the guy who said that I had, I assume it's a guy, uh, because his username was he said that John Goodman fan, and he said uh, that I have the personality of a wet paper bag. He deleted that review and just replaced it with a review that said "sorry about the paper bag thing," and that's Aww. the kind of reply guys that we love to see. <laughs> We love, we love reply guys like that. Okay, so to get into this week's episode, I do want to say that this week's episode is about a man who has replied to me personally online. I tweeted about him, and he replied. And that is friend of the show, enemy of the show, frenemy of the show, <laughs> Andrew of the Yang. Show, Andrew Yang. Um, this episode so, has been a long time coming, I think. Yeah. For me personally... I think uh, spiritually, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, no, Julia's. I, I don't know. I I am not an, a Yang fan, but uh, you hate him with a passionate fervor that I. It's. Um, I, I'll you know I'll get into all of it. It's not that I you know I don't hate him as a person. I hate the. I hate what Asian he, people. You're yes. just you're a racist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's it. No, I, I hate the the kind of political figure that he represents. And actually, doing research for this episode has further crystallized uh, exactly why I think um, we need to drag his ass. Yeah, I... I'm I'm very into it. And I'm going to post this. But after the primary, so, you know, Andrew Yang got in line and endorsed Biden, um, and you know, when uh, when Pete dropped out and the clobs dropped out, uh, yeah, and uh, they're all endorsing Biden, and you know, Andrew Yang just got in line with the uh, Democratic establishment, which you know was expected, but I think was shocking to a lot of people who were kind of thinking that he was like a more left or progressive guy, which he's not. He's not. Uh, he's a new brand of uh, you know, establishment politician. Um, but he said, uh, I, I like said, like, that sucks that Andrew Yang endorsed Biden. And then, you know, he replied something like, I know this was a difficult decision or something. I don't know. But I was just like, oh, my God, Andrew Yang is in my replies. And I do think that there, you know, was something with uh, Yang's candidacy where he 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 posted his way to a political career, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he you know he got uh, a lot of very online people on his side. I was gonna say men, but you know the Yang Gang has some women in it too. We're just Absolutely. not. We're not there ourselves. Um, so without further ado, um, we're going to uh, drag his ass this week. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just want to preface this by saying that the the overview, the crux of why I find Andrew Yang to be kind of such a vexing political figure is because, uh, as Kate uh, implied, he, I think, tricked kind of some people who should know better into thinking he was more progressive than he is, or he was somehow 
different, um, but he really, at his heart, at his core, is a kind of centrist technocrat. And looking into his bio more, which I really hadn't before this episode, he has even the, you know, the typical pedigree of a of, you know, your, your average mainstream politician. So Andrew Yang is 46 years old. He grew up in, uh, Westchester, New York, which is a wealthy suburban county of New York. His parents are Taiwanese immigrants. Um, but they met as grad students at UC Berkeley Cool. Cool. So they Wait, wasn't Kamala's dad at UC Berkeley too? Yeah, it was Ka- like a big uh is UC Berkeley where I went to school actually. It was it was a big place for uh parents of future politicians. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, I he, Yeah, Kamala's dad notoriously very cool and uh basically called her a cop and was like, I don't support her policy. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> you look at the like Kamala as a cop, like handle guy on Twitter, and you're like, holy shit. This oh my is God, her it's father. her dad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he grew up in Westchester, which is again a wealthy uh, suburban district of uh, New York City. And he attended Phillips Exeter Academy, which has seen many uh, senators and presidents uh, graduate from its halls. Phillips Exeter Academy is a uh, super prestigious and um, exclusive boarding school. It's a prep school. It sounds like um, one of those names of like a boarding school where there's like a, a movie with like you know, tragic gay stuff going on, yeah. you know, where it's like, like kind of old school, you know, two, uh, two same sex people fall in love and then one of them has to die or to being <laughs> straight. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. That is the vibe of, uh, Phillips Exeter Academy. Um, so yeah, he grew up in a wealthy suburb. He went to boarding school. Then he went on to Brown University, heard of it. Columbia Law School, heard of it. Um, he briefly spent some time after graduation in uh, corporate law, um, and he said he hated it and all that. And then that he, was the most relatable thing in his bio. I thought yeah. he's like, I fucking I hated he's this like, job. Worst yeah. five years of my life. I was like, all right, buddy, you get it. Uh, but he doesn't. He so then he uh, in the the early two thousands in the kind of uh, dot com boom he got involved in some investing in different um, kind of startup corporations that uh, went bust uh, in 2002. And then he moved on to this testing company called Manhattan Prep, which was rather, which was rather later acquired by Kaplan, which is like a huge uh, testing I used to work at Kaplan. Yeah, huge school testing. Um, they, you know, they handle like all the standardized tests, uh, test prep things. Um, so, and that is where Andrew Yang said that he became a millionaire um, while working at uh, Manhattan Prep, which I think does have some like foreshadowing qualities as to why he thinks that 
um, business and industry can solve education. Uh, that's why yeah. he's such a he's he's deeply pro charter and he yeah. is very suspicious and antagonistic to honestly uh, the teachers unions. Can I correct one thing really fast? Yeah. He was only a corporate lawyer for five months. Five months. Oh, okay. not five years. Sorry, five sorry, months. sorry. Five yeah, months. no, he he was in and out of that. In shit. and out. Okay, well, yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the test prep industry is, I, I worked in the test prep industry for a little while, and uh, this was, like, while I was in college, um, and so I was looking for, you know, the job that paid uh, big bucks, $12 an hour, um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Kaplan and all of those, like, test prep companies, I mean, it really is, like, the whole thing is, you know, built to just give people with money this kind of uh, permanent advantage. Um, we see a lot of schools in the pandemic beginning to uh, stop requiring the SAT or the ACT and, you know, some may be permanently, but just like a side note, like the, the test prep industry, that's not something that should uh, <laughs> exist in a just society. Well, yeah. And it's kind of, it obviously Kaplan and the test prep industry, you know, they have books and things like that that are, you know, inexpensive and you can check them out from the library if you want. But um, mostly like test prep classes and that, again, the whole that whole industry is predicated on class divide, yeah. uh, to put it really uh Basically, it's just, you know, the more access you have, obviously, like the richest people have access to private tutors and things like that. But um, the more time and wealth you have to dedicate to these uh, these test prep things, probably yeah. the better you're going to do. Yeah, specifically also like this is, you know, it's kind of a it's a it's a neolib uh, metaphor, if you will, because it's class divide pretending to be meritocracy right you know yeah. like it's not uh i think that you know th there's still this idea that like oh you know people are getting in based on their scores so it's like whoever is like the smartest or working the hardest or whatever and it's like nope no. you know <laughs> this is just coming down to like typical class lines mm -hmm. anyway let's get on with andrew Yang. let's get on with it um and so he has you know, he has lived in New York on and off for 20 years, um, but he has not voted in a New York City election since 2001. Or been to a pizza place besides Spara. <laughs> um, and, you know, he rose to national prominence. I'm, I'm going to, like, skip over a lot after uh, his his experience at Manhattan Prep Um you know, he went on to found this nonprofit nonprofit called Venture for America to train uh, entrepreneurs to start businesses in economically distressed cities, which is, again, I think a really good distillation of his worldview and how he thinks that society's problems can be solved through business. Yeah. Um, what do we need to solve economic injustice? More gentrification. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More entrepreneurs, more venture capitalists. And um, it had a 
um, a goal of creating 100,000 jobs and it only created 4,000. Um, it got a lot of notoriety. It got a lot of notoriety and hype, but it ultimately didn't deliver. Firefest, the firefest of, of absolutely uh, businesses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then that takes us to uh, him releasing his book in 2018 called The War on Normal People, um, which I have a lot of feelings about that title that are... <sighs> I just, I can't even get into it right now. Well, no, it, I mean, the t as a title, it sucks, but also, like, it kind of gets to what a lot of um, Andrew Yang's agenda is. Like, I think... Um, He's using normal there as sort of a stand-in for middle class. Yes, that's true. And, you know, middle class is already uh, a designation that um, is something that politicians use to uh, divert attention from uh, the working class and, you know, identities as, as, uh, <laughs> as workers um, who are, you know, in a in um direct you know a power struggle with with capital right but um you know andrew yang his whole ubi shit like was it sounds good a thousand dollars but as you have noted on the show many 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 times um it was a program designed to um take resources from those uh, that are most economically struggling and then divert them to mm -hmm. the middle class or as Andrew Yang would call, normal people, yeah. I guess. Normal people. Know? Normal people. Um, yes. So in this book, The War on Normal People, he outlines more of his, uh, you know, political, social ideology. And there is a section of the book called Human Capitalism, which is kind of a, a little catchphrase that he's become, uh, he's become known for uh, and he says that he has said multiple times that, you know, human capitalism can achieve better ends than democratic socialism. Um, well, it's, I mean, to me, like, I know you're going to hate this, but a lot of the things that we've talked about so far, um, including the kind of progressive masquerade and the like, actually, capitalism is the path to justice. It does remind me of our, our friend Elizabeth Warren. I knew you were going to say but that well, I I hope I'll be able to make some make some further distinctions between the two of them. Um, actually, I was going to bring that up that I think that people who have the kind of you know rightly the kind of criticisms uh, that she has received from the left, Elizabeth Warren, I think those should be those should fall down on Andrew Yang tenfold because he actually like. I mean, say what you want about Elizabeth Warren, you couldn't say that her. Uh, you know, her presidential platform was void of policy and, uh, like clear, um, uh, kind of paradigm shifting. Yeah. Um, it was wonky. Per yeah. Progressive vision anyways. But Andrew Yang, again, has this idea of, of human capitalism that is very business centric. Yeah. It's much less thought through than any of Elizabeth Warren's ideas. Like he had not, 
I don't know. He's, and he, some stuff, he's just making it up. <laughs> and ultimately, I mean, a difference between him and someone like Elizabeth Warren is he fundamentally does not believe in big government. Um, yeah. He said in the book, quote, I am no fan of big government. The larger an organization is, the more cumbersome and ridiculous it often gets. Um, and that is very classic, like, centrist, let's run government like a business, technocratic bullshit. So he runs, you know, following that book, he uh, declares his candidacy for president in 2019. And kind of for someone who was polling as low as he was in the single digits for most of the uh, most of the campaign, he was able to garner himself a lot of attention, specifically because of his universal basic income proposal and his focus on talking about automation, um, which, you know, automation is something that definitely a lot of people are rightly very concerned about. But people have been concerned about automation, in fairness, since, uh, you know, the invention of the cotton gin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's also like automation is not the way that Andrew Yang talks about automation is like that, you know, automation is this um, unstoppable force that will right. result in workers being, you know, not having any jobs or being paid less. And that's not actually an inevitability. There are right. choices that amount to that. And, you know, it's kind of a, yeah, Andrew Yang is, he's presenting it like it's, oh, this is just something that happens mm -hmm. and there's no way that government can do anything about it except for, you know, give people a thousand dollars a month to try to survive off of, you know? Yes. Um, and so, again, he kind of runs a campaign that is very... He's really, he's really uh, swinging above his weight, I think, for someone who who didn't have, I mean, he was one of the, the least experienced uh, people running in the, in the primary. Um, and he kind of, you know, like many political figures we've seen uh, on the left and the right, has like tried to use that to his advantage. Like, I'm an outsider and I... Uh, and he, pre he presents himself as like a startup, a man from like, Silicon Valley world. Yeah. But in reality, his experience in Silicon Valley, his experience in startups has largely, were largely failures in the early 2000s. Um, so he becomes very well known in the primary for uh, his version of universal basic income, which he calls the freedom dividend. Anytime something has freedom in it, it's going to be bad. Right. It's just like, that's the way that it Like it the, pa the Patriot Act. <laughs> the Patriot Act, the Freedom Tower. I'm not saying, like, it's just, this is, the word freedom, um, you it's know. A, it's a red flag. It's a it's a huge, like, dog whistle to, like, yes, we're about to uh, dismantle government mm -hmm. or do something really racist, right. you know. So, um, it sounds very he presents it as a this very simple idea uh $1000 a month for everyone um but that's not exactly true um 
on his website and has been, you know, noted many, many times, the Yang 2020 website, um, he said, current spending, we currently spend between 500 and $600 billion a year on welfare programs, food stamps, disability, and the like. This reduces the cost of the freedom dividend because people already receiving benefits would have a choice between keeping their current benefits and the $1,000 uh, and would not receive both. Um, end quote. So that is, to this day, that is one of the biggest sticking points that I feel that a lot of his most ardent supporters simply don't understand for some reason, that his idea of universal basic income is inextricably, inextricably linked from a dismantling of the social safety net and the welfare system as it ex yeah. currently exists. Yeah, dismantling of the social safety net, um, you know, like the idea that, oh, you know, all of these programs are going to be just, you know, taken apart and replaced. Um, but, you know, there's also like, there's just a really kind of blatant cruelty. And mm -hmm. like, you know, if you're poor, you don't deserve to have your quality of life increase in the way that middle class people do, you know, um, right. even poor or disabled or. Yeah, yeah. Or just in any kind on any kind of, you know, government benefit. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that it's um, I mean, it's look, I'm a big fan of universal programs. I truly stand Medicare for all. But um, there is something kind of messed up and being like, OK, you know, the richest people in our society, like, you know, they're going to get a little extra spending money, but we can't do we just simply can't do anything to uh, make, uh, you know, life livable for those who are, you know, at the, the sort of bottom of the, the class ladder. It's fucked up. Right. And I also think that framing this beginning with the current government spending on welfare programs, implying that it's a sort of administrative bloat. Yeah. Is dangerous and wrong and it's republican also, as fuck it yeah. is and it belies yeah. the fact that the majority of people who are eligible for welfare in this country do not receive it yeah um, um it's a yeah i mean it's just a it's kind of like just a continuation of ronald reagan's legacy really you know actually so there was a great piece about um andrew yang in jacobin that i will link in the show notes um and the author compares Yang uh, to Mayor John Lindsay, uh, who was the uh, mayor of New York City, a Republican mayor of New York City um, in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Richard Lockman wrote this article. It's very good. It's called Andrew Yang as Mayor Will Be a Disaster for New York. Um, and yeah, Mayor John Lindsay kind of came out of the uh, the quote unquote liberal wing of the Republican Party in the late 60s and early 70s. And he believed in the quote, like science of management. And he just believed that we could uh, kind of administrate ourselves out of a crisis uh, and as a city. And that is fundamentally what Andrew Yang also believes. Um, moving on to his, you know, his most, 
his most recent venture, uh, which is running for mayor of New York City. You know, I, I'll say this. After he conceded in the primary, I was like, we, I, I won't have to deal with him again. I am at peace. Not so. He announced his candidacy for mayor of New York last year. Um, I think specifically to hurt my feelings. Yeah, I saw that when I saw that, I was like, oh no, where is Julia? Are you in a space to receive information that might hurt you? No, no, yeah. I was not. Um, yeah. And his campaign has been a, a wild ride. Uh, yeah, he's to, like. To say the least. He immediately, when he announced. Um, in the, the very early stages of the campaign, kind of shot to the top of the polls name, name on name recognition alone. And that is honestly why a lot of people run for president. And we, yeah. all, we all know this. Uh, building the brands. You building know? the brands. That's brand. why I post uh, thirst traps, honestly. Right. Yeah. Why do any of us post thirst traps? We're building our brand. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yes, Andrew Yang kind of out of nowhere. Like most, honestly, a lot of us didn't even know that he was a New York City resident. I don't think that he fully knows. I know. I mean, that's one of the main like jokes about his candidacy is that, you know, I mean, he says to like Z-Way, like, oh, my favorite, uh, my favorite subway stop is um, Times Square. Square. And there's all these things where it makes it seem like he's a carpetbagger. And that is funny and silly. Um, and, you know, he obviously is really out of touch with the concerns of, uh, one would even say normal people, you know? <laughs> um, but, you I'm know. not, yeah, I, I will say, and I know that there is, you know, I've lived in New York for six years now. I know that there is a big, um, you know, there's always an ongoing discourse about, like, who is and his, is not a real New Yorker, and I'm really not interested in that discussion as it relates to Andrew Yang. I don't care. Um, yeah. That's, there are so many other reasons to yeah, he's think like, that his candidacy sucks. He's like, he loves cops. He's a Zionist. Um, he is, you know, trying to, like, uh, <laughs> to, like turn New York into, like, Hudson Yards. There's a lot of things that are funny about him, but I definitely feel like, like, I don't want to be, like, a stick in the mud, but I feel like the, um, the, the like, ha-ha, Andrew Yang eats it, Olive Garden discourse is a little bit distracting from how truly sinister he is. I do too. I really think that, again, I think that there are so many really substantive reasons to not want him to be mayor. Um, so, you know, as we said, he hasn't like, he hasn't voted in a, a New York city election since 2001. He spent most of the pandemic with his family outside of New York city. Um, he, you know, famously gave an interview where he said, well, my wife and kids and I live in a two bedroom apartment. We can you imagine trying to do learning from home and working at the same time in those conditions? And obviously that is a situation that is extremely familiar to most people who live in New York. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of out of the gate came off as out of step and a little out of touch, but at the same time was at the top of the polls because of his, his name recognition. He has since, I mean, kind of every step that he's made 
uh, on his campaign has hurt him, uh, I would say. And um, in March, obviously with the coronavirus pandemic um, and New York City having the largest public school system in the country, that was a big topic of conversation. How can schools, um, how and when can schools reopen safely? And he said, um, in March, he said, I will confess to being a parent that has been frustrated by how slow our schools have been to open. And I do believe that the UFT has been a significant reason why our schools have been slow to open. Uh, UFT is the United Federation of Teachers. Um, this is not the first time he's taken a swing at teachers unions. He is very critical of them. He is also nakedly one of the most pro-charter Democrats I've seen since Cory Booker. Yeah. Um, I, I, can we just pause here and just talk for just a second about how fucking garbage this take of like, uh, yeah, I like these fucking selfish teachers unions. Um are like i mean it's it was just we saw this take over and over again of course from conservatives but also from a lot of uh mainstream libs of you know basically that teachers are somehow um you know greedy and heartless because they do not want to literally die you know um right online education is something that you know it's people can't there can be online education and it's also like it was presented as this thing that was sort of like, you know, harming, harming the children and that there was no concern for for children and, and teachers not wanting to, to deliver in-person instruction. But I mean, look, we were in a, a, a deadly pandemic. It's dangerous, was dangerous for children to be in school as well. Uh, I don't know. I just I hated that take. It was you know, it's it was really just a very opportunistic uh, moment for people who have always hated teachers having a union. Right. And, you know, he has made even more specific, uh, comments saying that, um, saying that, uh, you know, teachers, teachers unions have too much power and that they, you know, the same old conservative takes, they protect bad teachers, all these, uh, things like that. And the, the UFT, uh, president, (laughs) Michael Mulgrew responded to Yang and he said, the UFT was the leading force in New York city, public schools, opening and opening safely, protecting students and staff. Mr. Yang needs to do his homework. Um, well, yes, that is true. Also though, like teachers were really mad at the UFT, um, who was like, the UFT was trying to like, was really going against their membership and trying to get people back into schools before it was actually safe to do so. So just, just to pause here and say like, you know, there is an asterisk to that statement, of course. Yeah. But I mean, what you were getting at with Yang's original statement is this, Again, something that I think conservative and centrist people were saying about teachers since this pandemic started, uh, which is basically that their lives don't matter. They just want like I I completely sympathize with parents who don't want to deal with their kids being at home all the time 
anymore. Or can't work. I mean, or truly or, like don't have a place to leave their kids. I mean, it's a it's that's a crisis situation. It's terrible. Absolutely, um, but blaming but the blaming is, the teachers is yeah. The solution isn't kill all the teachers. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. And you know, the teachers were the ones who were at greatest risk in this situation. Um, Just from what we know of the demographics of how the virus spread. Um, So that was, uh, that was frustrating. He certainly made no friends uh, with New York City teachers uh, with a lot of those statements. In April, he met with Stonewall Democrats, which is um, an LGBT group, um, uh, Democratic um, a group of the Democratic Party um, here in New York City. And um, it ended up getting a write-up in the Times. It says, you know, several members of the Stonewall Democrats of New York City relayed to the Times and posted on Twitter that Yang offended the group by referring to the gay community as, quote, so beautiful and human and, quote, a secret weapon and his constant references to gay bars and clubs. Um, And then one of them said, one of the members, uh, Harris Doran, said, he kept calling us your community like we're aliens. (laughs) Hell yeah. He's like, yeah, I love he's talking about, he's like, you know, uh, gays hanging out uh, at Times Square. (laughs) Have you guys heard of Times Square? Uh, Yeah. Gays, do you guys do you guys all know um you know Elton John for example you know <laughs> so out of touch um and you know that article which we'll also link in the show notes details the fact that members different members of the group were trying to ask him policy specific questions about issues that face the LGBT community one of which is homelessness and healthcare. Yeah. And he ke- just kind of kept returning to listing the gay bars that he has gone to. Oh my God. Um, worst lib shit of all time. Worst lib shit of all, like, like 80s lib, sh- late 80s, early 90s lib shit. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, man, that is, but that's it's so like I mean Andrew Yang people were trying to give him credit for being this like you know semi radical thinker but you know just kind of like these I don't know these like little kind of cultural signifiers instead of you know um, accessible healthcare for trans people for example I don't sorry I used the word accessible but free healthcare for yeah trans people, you know I. And I think it's important to talk about the voters that he is trying to appeal to and the voters that he is trying to court, both in his presidential campaign and his mayoral campaign. You know, during his presidential campaign, he made every stop on the conservative podcast and radio circuit. Uh, Yeah. uh, He went on Tucker Carlson's show. He went on the Rubin Report, Dave Rubin's libertarian nightmare experiment yeah the ben shapiro show he's not funny yeah uh you know he he did he did it all um and you know like his presidential platform his mayoral platform is not very policy centric 
it focuses a lot on administrative restructuring and department consolidation, which is basically paring down of government. Um, it's again, it's running government like a business. Um, it's nothing new just because he uses a lot of words on his website, like innovation, uh, doesn't mean anything. Um, I have been most troubled by the way that he talks about, um, policing and public safety. Yes. And I think that also speaks to the kind of voter that he is trying to court. Um, because from all indications, it seems that he is trying to record, he's trying to court law and order voters. Yeah. Um, he went on, uh, about two weeks ago, he went on Good Day New York, which is a local um, news program here in New York. And he said that um, public safety is his number one priority. And he went on to say, and I quote, we have to get these concerns under control as quickly as possible. And you know who's going to drive that? The police. Yeah. He has spoken out multiple, multiple times against, you know, any kind of police reform. And also as it relates to mental health um, and the way that that intersects with public safety, he said that he wants to implement a two-strike rule, apparently, for mentally ill people who are not technically committing a crime, um, but if they're just, like, disturbing the peace generally. Oh, no. My ex-boyfriends on Twitter are going to go to jail. <laughs> um, I will also link the video uh, to that in the show notes. He said, I believe in mental health, but if you have someone who's mentally ill on the subway, you're going to need a police officer at least present or and in a proximity to help improve the situation. <laughs> it's a particularly disgusting... Um, in light of, you know, just how much awareness has been brought to the police just shooting and killing people who are non-neurotypical um, because they're not able to respond in the way that the cops are demanding. They're not, they're literally not able to do it. And it's just, you know, I mean, like, the, the cops are, are a huge, huge... Alex Vitale wrote about this at the end of policing. Like, the cops are a huge risk to people who are not neurotypical. Um, it, you know, it's just... It's, it's so, so, so... It's so tragic. Like, you know, just how many people um, have been, you know, hurt or killed by police when what they needed was, like, a, a, a medical expert, a nurse, right. or a social worker. Or a social worker. Yeah. Right. And how the police interact with mental health in this country, um, the end result of that, the end result of something like Andrew Yang's vision for public safety and policing and mental health is, and he can say, I believe in mental health all, all he wants. That means well, I mean, nothing. It's, it's, that means it nothing. Mean, like, literally, mental health is real. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah no I believe debate. in it too. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I believe in... I, I believe in urination. You know? Yeah. Like, it's just, okay. Yeah, okay. it's real. Um, but the end result of this kind of thinking is where we currently are in this country in which the largest mental health facilities in this country 
our prisons and jails. Um, that should not be the case. Obviously that is a, a really dystopian fact, uh, that makes me despair for, for humanity. But I just think that over and over again, at every turn, Andrew Yang has proven himself not to just be kind of an inexperienced businessman who's too big for his britches. He is, you know, a lot of his ideology is actively harmful, would be really harmful to New York City. Yeah, I mean, there's been so many times where he's had the opportunity to, you know, show himself to be, you know, maybe like even, you know, liberal or whatever, uh, progressive. And he's just chosen, you know, he's 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 nakedly not that every time, like um, in the the wake of the shooting in Times Square, which wounded a a small child. Andrew Yang comes out and um, railed against police reform, Um, you know, when Gaza is under siege, Andrew Yang tweets, I'm standing with the people of Israel who are coming under bombardment attacks and condemn the Hamas terrorists. The people of NYC will always stand with our brothers and sisters in Israel who face down terrorism and persevere. Like, you know, he just is going on Twitter immediately to defend ethnic cleansing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like he's not in some ways he's not he's definitely definitely not um you know to the uh the left or even progressive ends of of democrats i want to say like there's part of me that was about to say like you know he's he's more right than most democrats but i don't i mean obviously you know a lot of democrats share this super right-wing mentality and um you know i think i think he is to the right of of many yeah of many current, like I think that there has been like a leftward push in the last yeah, number of years. Yeah, and he's definitely not part is, of that leftward push. No, absolutely not. Substantially out of step. Um, yeah, and he's also someone that he he's been he's been kind of like given I think too much airtime in left media, and yeah. that has contributed to the problem. Um, obviously, left media is not like. You know, I wish it was a bigger deal, right? Um, but he was on the show Rising a lot, um, which is this show that was, um, you know, it's this, it's this like morning show, YouTube morning show um, on the Hill TV with Crystal Ball, um, who describes herself as a progressive. Uh, note the tiny bit of shade thrown there by me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> self-described. Um, yeah. And then Sagar and Jetty, and he, you know, he's a fucking neocon you know and they had andrea Yang on a lot um they also had some really cool people on a lot you know nina turner all the time and, and they were really supportive of bernie's campaign but you know you gotta look all right like is the show being hosted by uh co-hosted by a fascist neocon okay well then maybe i'm not gonna like trust the particular politics of the show and he just you know andrew yang he you know he he got he was just kind of you know, I think the attitude about him during the primary and left media was largely like, oh, hey, you know, he's not I'm not going to vote for him. Bernie's our guy. But like, look, you know, there's these cool ideas. And that, that's unfortunate because I think that people see this New York City mayor's race and it is ranked choice. And, you know, it's this thing of like, you know, to the person who is not 
um, you know, freakishly online or something like that. It's like, okay, you know, maybe maybe someone else is my number one, but, you know, Andrew Yang is, is going to be my number two, you know, and I mean, probably a lot of people will put him number one um, or, you know, and it can be the number two for even, you know, folks who are a little bit more conservative. But I, I just think that he has a really excellent chance of winning this race and that that's going to be really, really horrible for New York in a very Bloomberg Giuliani way. I mean, just yeah. down to the little details of, his, you know, his plan to crack down on street vendors. I and mean, mm-hmm. this man is just he's nakedly pro capital in a way that people don't really seem to notice, which is frustrating. And yes, and that is exactly my frustration uh, and the reason why he gets under my skin to the degree it's that he gaslighting. does. Gaslighting. Yeah. Gaslighting. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andrew Yang is not a girl boss and yeah. he is gaslighting me. And no, I look again, the, the idea that like Bernie's our number one, but we still like Yang should not like that was a sentiment going around in the 2020 primary that I, didn't understand because I was like, if you just do, if you sweep back the dirt on his website just a little bit, it's right. It's all right there. It's just every, he wants to run every sector of government as a business. That's what charter schools are. It's running education like a business. Um, so yeah, I, and you know, we got a, uh, here on our, our Patreon, actually, we got a very lengthy comment um, on one of our episodes where we, we discussed Andrew Yang um, in depth by from one of his supporters. And, you know, she, it was a she. Um, she. Shattering the image of the Yang gang. Yeah. You know, she basically kind of indirectly accused us, me probably in particular, because I am definitely the more vocal uh, opponent of Andrew Yang on this sh- this show, um, of kind of treating him the same way that the mainstream media treated Bernie, um, and you know she said that Andrew Yang just likes to solve problems, and she said that I was, you know, just because we talked about his supporters at all on this podcast, she kind of likened that to the Bernie Bros uh, narrative, which is not at all what I think. Do I think that his online supporters are annoying? Certainly. Who cares? That's not the main problem. That's yeah. But I think that if we've, you know, if we've done anything in the past hour of this episode, I, I hope it's to outline that there are really serious and substantive, uh, policy reasons for the way that I feel how I feel. Yeah. And Um, it's not, you know, like, this is not, this is not new. Like, the the kind of, like, um, you know, conservatism masquerading as, like, you know, technocratic innovation or whatever. I mean, like, that was, you know, the MO of the Obama administration in many ways. But, you know, it's... uh, it's definitely frustrating, I think, even more like that after, you know, a global pandemic, um, that after, um, you know, serious, serious conversations about policing, 
um, that this would be on on the table, that Andrew Yang, a super pro-police um, Zionist candidate uh, who, you know, has notably hostile um, towards working class people in many ways, super mm-hmm. pro-business, super pro-real estate, um, you know, that he very well might be the mayor of New York City. That's just, you know, especially, and I don't want to get into this, you know, until we hear more from the story, but, you know, D- Diane Morales' campaign looks like, you know, they're having a lot of trouble right now, and I'm, I'm a, it's, this literally just came out as yeah. we're, we're recording, so I'm withholding holding judgment until I read a bit more. Um, but, uh, man, it's just... We do not want Yang. No we, Yang. No, no Yang. We, the idea of him as the chief executive of the largest city in the country, kind of overseeing one of the largest police forces in the country and the largest uh, public school system in the country, is, for me unimaginable uh it's just i i really shudder to imagine what andrew yang's new york looks like and he i don't even think he really knows exactly what it looks like he said that the the primary job of mayor is to be the city's number one cheerleader yeah well it's it's a very (laughs) that's a very tech tech idea that you know that like uh he's an evangelist it's a ceo mentality certainly yeah um but you know it's we're we're coming to the end of our time here and i'm 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 glad we talked about this i'm glad we dragged his ass um it's definitely demoralizing but you know the primary is on june 22nd so to our new york city listeners we definitely hope that you go vote and rank other people besides Andrew Yang, um, you know, and uh, I, I personally plan to not rank him at all. I plan to not rank him at all either. Cause you know, he's, uh, he'll be able to get away with, with quite a bit, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause he, he couches his, I mean, I have nothing in common, you know, with his politics, um, at all. And, you know, there's certainly, uh, other ghoulish people running for mayor, Eric Adams, who's also doing well, um, you know, complete, absolute ghoul. But there is, I think, a specific danger with Yang that, like, just people truly do not register how conservative he is, mm-hmm. you know? And if you want to know what New York City will look like under Yang, uh, it will look like his fucking favorite subway stop, which is Times, Times Square. Square. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway... Uh, Julia, do you have anything else before we wrap up today? No, I think uh, that's all. And I look forward to the angry comments that this will receive. Yeah. Julia's not going to have sex with you guys, no matter how many times you reply to her. Just leave Julia alone. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She has a boyfriend. (laughs) Um. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you later this week for the Patreon episode. Thank you again uh, so much for listening to the show. Special thank you to the patrons of the show. um, And we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Reply Guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. 
The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They're always with us. Bernie, take us out. walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.